that ministry is really sharing of life. And it's not my life, but it's the life that I now live in Christ. And it's really the life of Christ. Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. This episode of General Order 4 will begin a brand new series on having a life of discipleship. Today's episode starts part one of Christ's model of discipleship. Hello and welcome to this episode of General Order 4. My name is Simeon Brazel. I'm a missionary to Australia on deputation and I am joined as always by Pastor Brian Stewart. And uh, we today, hello, and today we're going to be talking about a, having a life of discipleship and how Christ modeled a life of discipleship. Uh, so it is very important as Christians that we make sure that we have the correct definition, which is what we talked about in the last episode of what discipleship is, and that we model it in the way that Scripture intends for us to model that discipleship. Uh, so beginning in John chapter number 20 and verse number 21, I'll have you, Pastor Stewart, go ahead and read that to us and discuss uh, how that applies to Christ in a life of discipleship. In John chapter 20, verse 21, scriptures record, Then said Jesus unto them, Peace be unto you, as my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. Uh, Discipleship is life. It is that transfer of life. Uh, that is necessary since we were born in our trespasses and sin. We need life. We were created to uh, to live life to its fullest, and, uh, and Jesus Christ has come that we might have that life and that abundantly. And so right. Jesus is our example of how to disciple from the very essence of who he is and what he did. And so Jesus here uh, tells us that the Father sent him uh, he sent him from heaven to earth. He became flesh and dwelt among us. Uh, he was sent to us to give us the opportunity to be regenerated or to have life given to us where we were dead in our trespasses and sins. So as the Father sent him, so he is saying, hey, I am the example. The Father sent me, mm-hmm. and now I am going to send you in the same way. And so that begs a couple of questions. Uh, One is, how was he sent? If we look at John chapter 1, we can find the answer to that in John chapter 1, looking at verse 14 to begin with. We see it says in the Word, that's a capital W, which represents Christ. Jesus Christ himself, yeah. Yes, sir. Uh, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And so we see here that we get to behold him. He's pointing out, hey, this is something that we beheld, that we get to see. Why do we need to see it? Because he's the example for us. And so he was made flesh. That's that's how he was sent. He was sent from heaven uh, to us and took on that human form. And then in that human form, demonstrated to us how we are to uh, live life in obedience to the Father and, and, and following what God has for us. So, so what you're saying there, 
um, just just for my own understanding, is that um, you're saying that, okay, so Christ was sent of the Father, and he's saying, as as the Father has sent me, even so send I you. So he was sent, he was robed in flesh. Obviously, we're already flesh. Um, but Christ was robed in flesh, and he was sent of the Father. And so, the, in other words, Christ is saying that, that you are also sent of the Father? Is that is that what you're getting at? Well, indirectly, I mean, the, we are sent by Christ uh, right. when we have put our faith and trust in, in Jesus Christ for the salvation of our sin. And he's sending us in the same manner that the Father sent him. So, okay, but okay. we are going to be sent in the same manner that the Father sent the Son. Uh, and that's why he says, so send I you. Right. Uh, and so just like Christ came from heaven— we actually are going to go in the opposite direction. We're going to, we're of the world, right? You know, before salvation, but after salvation, now our home is where it's in heaven, in heaven. where our affections are supposed to be, and all of those things. And so, uh, we have uh, after salvation, we have this really the opposite direction because we were of the world, and now we get to be everything gets to be of God uh, after salvation. So Jesus was sent. The way he was sent was that he came down and was made flesh for us. The why he was sent, if we go back to verse 4 of John chapter 1, we see that all things, or in verse 3, all things were made by him, and without him was not anything that was uh, anything made that was made. But notice in verse 4, it tells us the reason. In him was life. And so because he is the source of life. God is the source of life. God and the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit is the source of life. And the life was the light of men. And so he, why he came was because we lacked what he originally created us to be, and that is a living being that has a body, a soul, and a spirit. Right. And the spirit in man, when Adam sinned, God said, "In the day that thou eatest thereof of that of that fruit of that tr- of the tree, thou shalt surely die." And so, what died in man that day was his spirit. Mm-hmm. And so, we need Jesus Christ, His death, burial, and resurrection. We need Him to give us life again, and He does that through the regeneration uh, that happens through the Holy Spirit of God in, in a believer. But we see here that why did He come? He came because he was the life, and he is the life, and that is the only source that we can get life from. Uh, it's the source where we originally were given life, and it's the only way to be restored back to that life. And so in our original verse there in John chapter 20 and verse 21, we also see by whom was he sent, and it's very clear he says, as my father, mm-hmm. that's a capital F, so it's representing God. My father hath sent me. He says, even so, send I you. And so the, what we have a need of that is very important is we need life, and there's only one source for life, and that is Christ. And so discipleship is us receiving that life so that we can be a disciple of Christ, so it starts at salvation, obviously. It starts at salvation. And then it is us learning to live this new life 
as we will see a little later in a passage we're going to look at, that that life is uh, in him and of him and about him. Right. And so that's what really discipleship is for. So the, the, the Christ came, and when he came, the ultimate purpose of his coming, or the main purpose of his coming, was the obvious part, what we always think of, and that is his death on the cross for the salvation of the souls of men, right? Um, but why did he wait for... 30 some odd years to to do that and why was his ministry as a whole not a ministry of the whole time doing nothing but preaching the gospel now he preached the gospel a lot um but that that wasn't what the bulk of the new testament is or the bulk of the gospels um is not necessarily just a repetition over and over and over of the gospel the bulk of the gospel of the gospel records is obviously the story of Jesus, and that's what it, that, that's what we know it to be. Um, but most of Christ's actual ministry was consumed with twelve men. Most of Christ's ministry recorded in scriptures is consumed on on twelve particular guys. And um, going based off what you've said, as my Father has sent me, even so send I you. How was Christ sent? What did he do when he was here? Now, yes, at the end of his earthly life so to speak, um, when he was crucified on the cross and then he rose from the dead and then he ascended into heaven. Um, that That's the culmination of his work. But the bulk of the work duration-wise was spent on 12 guys. So if we're sent in the same way that Christ was sent and we have the same job that Christ had here on earth, obviously you, are and, I, you and I are not the sacrifice for sin, so that's not what he's that's talking correct. about. Um, he is talking about obviously getting the gospel to people, um, that, but that's only a, a, only a part of it because that's only a part of what Christ did. Um, he spent a whole lot of time with 12 guys teaching and training them. And uh, if you will, in Mark, and listener, if you are listening to this and you have a Bible readily available, I encourage you either to pause now and, and go ahead and go to Mark three fourteen because I want you to look at it. I want you to read it. Um, but I'll read it out here. It says, and he ordained 12, Mark three fourteen, and he ordained 12 that they should be with him and that he might send them forth to preach. And he ordained 12 that they should be with him. There's a comma before the 12, or right after the word 12, and there's a comma right after the word him. He ordained 12 that they should be with him and that he might send them forth to preach. He wanted them to be with him. That, that's that's really what this this is about here. And if you continue, he talks about how you know he would give them power to do certain things. Um, but those twelve men, they couldn't do anything. They couldn't have the power to cast out devils. They couldn't have power to preach. They couldn't have power to change anybody's life outside of first taking up that call to be with him. And that was the important part: was that they spend time with Christ. Um, the call of Christ is a call to be with him. And I think it's important that we teach in, in discipleship, really salvation, when we're teaching them, hey, look, this is what just happened when you got saved. It needs to be made an emphasis, an emphasis on this new baby Christian's life that, hey, this calling to Christ, this calling to salvation, he didn't save you just to save you. He saved you so that you'd be with him. I mean, what 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 did God do every single day, Pastor, in, in the Garden of Eden? What did he do? He, he he fellowshiped every evening with Adam and Eve, and they would walk in the cool of the evening together with the Lord. And so it he was spent time with them. Yeah, it was it was that he shared his life with them. 
in, in the real sense, I mean, if you look at that Genesis account, he shared life with us in the fact that he breathed into the man's nostrils. And what did he breathe into him? The breath of life. And so this concept of sharing life is really the whole concept of of what it is to be in Christ and to be in the Father and to and to have life, uh, this new life, everlasting life, uh, because that's what God has is everlasting life. And so right. we get to share his image and, and likeness in this uh, concept of sharing life. So Jesus, what did he do? He demonstrated throughout his whole 33 and a half years that, hey, I'm going to share my life with these people. And what's the opposite of that? What, what is spiritual death? It's separation from God. You know, the punishment of hell is, yeah, it, it's fire and it's being with the devil and with the, the angels that fell and all of that's a part of it. But the punishment of hell is not the fire. It's the separation from God. I mean, it's the real anguish. All of us are living on earth on borrowed time and we're living in our sins separated from God, uh, but not in the sense that we will be when... When, you know, if we don't accept Christ and we go to hell, I mean, that, that separation from God is a separation that's total. It's a separation that's permanent. It's a separation that you no longer even have a chance to be reconciled to God at that point. That's, I mean, that's tr- the truest form of death, uh, spiritual death. So the opposite of that is life. And that life, he didn't just save us so that he could save us. He saved us so that we could be with him, the opposite of separation from him, right? So he wanted us to spend time with him, to be with him. And there was, there's more of a purpose of being with him than just because he was lonely. I mean, he didn't need, he didn't, doesn't need our fellowship, wants it. And um, the natural outcrop of being with him, you know, I was, I was, there's two phrases when I was a kid that I heard all the time. Uh, One of them is you are what you eat. And the other (laughs) one was um, that you are who you hang out with or you are who your friends are, right? And the the premise behind that phrase, and I probably heard it a hundred times when I was a kid from my teachers, from my parents, from my Sunday school teachers, because they were trying to, they were trying to emphasize, you know, that you should, you should make good friends, that iron sharpens iron. And that, that was a principle they were trying to get across. Right. Um, but if we're spending time with Christ, that same thing is true. Now he's perfect. He's not going to come down to our level. Um, but the more time we spend with Christ, the more like him we become. And that's the point. He calls them to be with him so he can prepare them, but also really just so that they can become more like him. The uh, the the point that my mind went to right when you were saying that is that a lot of people, I don't know if all people, I've never done a scientific study on it, but I do know that a lot of people learn best by seeing something exampled for them, modeled for them. Uh, a lot of trades are taught that way. It's not necessarily in a classroom looking in a book or anything, but it's actually witnessing somebody do that. And so what a, what a wonderful thing that, that the God of heaven who created us, knowing what best way we learn, he actually demonstrated discipleship for us in the very person of Christ by having him come down and live his life and show us exactly. And we have at the beginning of his ministry and at the end of his ministry, the testimony of God Almighty speaking, God the Father speaking, saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And so we know that everything that he did on earth was an example to us, even to the point where he shows us what his purpose was and why he was here. And that was to spend time with man 
so that man could experience life. Yeah, and I I, th- I do think it's interesting too that as we're talking about spending time with Christ, spending time with Christ, spending time with Christ, you know, and we're we're trying to apply that as a model um, that Christ was modeling for these men because who 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 are we talking about? We're talking about these twelve disciples, right? These these men that spent all this time with him, and really, you could even go more specific than that and talk about Peter, James, and John. Um, those three men. You know, Christ spent extra time with. I mean, when he was about to be crucified, he went to the Garden of Eden and, or excuse me, Garden of Eden. He he went to the Garden of Gethsemane and he took all 12 disciples with him besides Judas, so 11, um, because Judas had gone out. And he took the 11 with him Mm -hmm. and then he leaves eight of them and takes Peter, James, and John a little bit further into the garden. And then he separates from Peter, James, and John and goes in a little bit further by himself. But why does he leave eight of them outside of the garden, bring three of them into the garden, and then go a little bit further? I mean, I think there's a very specific purpose for that. Jesus didn't do anything by accident. Um, he brought those three men in because because they were the closest to him. And I, that that's also, you know, we could go on a, here's a whole sermon for you, but we could go on a whole thing about why, you know, why those three men, well, I think... I think personally, he, he takes those three men in because they, those were the three men he, he felt like he could count on to pray for him. Uh, they happened to fall asleep. Um, but he took those three men in because those were the three men, if anybody understood or should have understood what was going on in Jesus's life at that point, it should have been those three guys. So he had the 12 and he had the three. Um, but these were people that he was investing himself in day in and day out, day in and day out. And, uh, and the whole purpose of that was that was his ministry. Those 12 men were his ministry. And one of them ended up being a traitor, but those 12 men were the ministry. And in John chapter 15, we see in verses 1 through 8, Jesus is speaking to his disciples again, and he uses the picture of a vine and branches. And I imagine he's using the picture of a grapevine here because that's probably a very common sight in uh in the land of Israel at that time. And so he, he identifies in verse one that, that I am the true vine. And then he talks and he says, my father is the husbandman. In other words, he's the one that's managing this vineyard, this vine and its branches. He's the one that is ultimately in control. He's the decision maker in this. And then he compares you and I to the branches. The, that's you and I who have put our faith and trust in the death direction of Jesus Christ for the salvation of our sins. We've confessed that and we believe that in our heart. He says that we are his branches. And he says, uh, every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. There's a separation that is inherent here with a branch that's not bearing fruit. Well, what is the natural uh, if we have a healthy branch that's connected to a healthy vine that has life in it, what is that branch expected to do? It's going to bear fruit. If the branch is not bearing fruit, then there's something wrong with the branch because we know mm-hmm. in this case the true vine has no problems. It's perfect. It's Jesus Christ. And so right. he goes on to say, in every branch that beareth fruit, he purges it that it may bring forth more fruit. And so we see two levels of fruit bearing here. We're bearing fruit, but the husbandman, the father, wants more fruit out of that branch. And so what does he do? He purges it. He, he manages it. And what does it do? It produces more fruit. And so as it spends more time in the vine, 
abiding in the vine, then what happens? Now we see that this branch is able to do more that the father, the husbandman, is looking for from that branch. He mm-hmm. cleans us through his word. And then in verse 14, it goes back to what you talked about in Mark and what Christ talked about in Mark. He says, hey, abide in me and I in you. In other words, I want you to be with me. I've, mm-hmm. I've ordained you to be with me. And so he wants us. In fact, we could go back and say, you know what? He created us to be with him. I mean, that's part of our created purpose was to fellowship with him. And you brought right. that out earlier. So, and, and, and on that same along that same line, um, you know, we're talking about talking about bearing fruit. You can't even do that properly unless you've been with Christ. And in, in Matthew, um, you know, Matthew chapter number four, he talks about making fishers of men. We like to talk about making fishers of men, but he says, "Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men." Again, there's a comma before and after. Follow me. It, it, the prerequisite for making fishers of men is that we follow him. You know, and then, you know, we, we, we see these disciples, we see them do amazing things, but um, so often we, do, we neglect the fact that the reason they were able to do amazing things, the reason they were able to have such faith in Christ was because they did. They spent time following him. The Sermon on the Mount in, in Matthew 5 through 7, that's addressed just to the disciples. And I'm, I'm not going to go there right now. The listener, you can look that up if you want to. But the beginning of chapter number five, it says that he separated himself and went up to a mountain and his disciples followed him up there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the Olivet Discourse is the same scenario uh, towards the end of Christ's ministry, just before he's betrayed. Uh, they leave the temple and just him and just Jesus and his disciples in Matthew 24 and 25 um, go together up to the mount and they speak just just them there's no pharisees around there's no you know there's not an audience other than the disciples so the two largest bodies of scripture the two largest sermons recorded in scripture by jesus christ are not addressed to the public and i think we as preachers and and as christian leaders and teachers so many of us um myself included we we try to teach people the deep things. Mm-hmm. The, all of that discourse is about the second coming of Christ, and it's about you know prophetic things. It talks about Daniel, and it talks about you know all kinds of stuff. And people love to hear that stuff. Yeah. But are they actually able to d- digest it and to understand it? Not really. That's why there's so much confusion around that. Um, because Jesus didn't tell his disciples that until the very end of his ministry. He didn't yeah. teach that stuff to them because they weren't ready for it. Um, but he'd spent three years with these guys at this point, and that's when he gives them that information. But we're we're so apt to try and teach. You know, in another place, he talks about how we shouldn't be – actually, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tells them, uh, don't cast your pearls before swine. Yeah. And don't give don't give good information to people who can't process it. They don't understand it. Um, so he doesn't teach them anything. They're not ready to understand it. And back to bearing fruit, we're talking about – you know, abiding in Christ and him abiding in us. And if we're abiding in him, then he's going to do the pruning. He says the, the father is going to do the pruning. He's going to cut the things out that aren't necessary. And that way we can make sure that we are bearing fruit in a timely fashion. And Christ modeled that, I think, in his own in his own ministry with his disciples. He didn't give them things they weren't ready for until they were ready for it. He brought them along. He pruned out things in their life. And when they were ready to hear it, he gave it to them. And then they were able, you know, I still don't think that they fully processed all of that until after his death and resurrection. But he brought them along slowly as a process Mm -hmm. instead of just throwing them into the deep end. Life really requires what? Intentionality. 
it requires uh, a, um, a lot of effort to be able to maintain life and health and maturity. And the goal of life is to mature. And as we were looking in John 15, we see that he gives really how we can be disciples. Jesus actually tells his disciples how they can be disciples. In verse 8, he says, So shall ye be my disciples. So how can I be his disciple? Well, I need to do what he says in verse 8. He says, I need to uh, glorify the Father. And how is that going to happen? It's by bearing much fruit. So we see a third level of fruit bearing. We saw fruit bearing, bearing fruit. Then we saw more fruit. And now we're seeing much fruit. And so there's a generational uh, aspect that Jesus, he came, he discipled the 12. Then they were to disciple others that were to disciple others. And we see that in the model with Paul and Timothy. But we see that also here with Christ giving the disciples this understanding. They didn't get that from thin air. They got that teaching from Christ, and it mm -hmm. was modeled by Christ because what does he do? He does the very same thing. He obeys the Father in everything. He is sent by the Father. He comes down to earth. He is God's greatest ambassador, God the Father's greatest ambassador. He is his greatest example. And as an example to us, he came and shared his life. And so ministry or discipleship, again, I believe those are interchangeable words if we use them according to the scriptures, that ministry is really sharing of life. And it's not my life, but it's the life that I now live in Christ. And it's really the life of Christ. Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to right. die is gain. And so how do I live so that Christ gets the honor and glory. It's through the the maturing process that a minister has to help me. Now, it doesn't have to be a pastor, holding somebody that holds the office of pastor. You alluded to this earlier. But it is somebody who is going to shepherd me in the Word of God and show me the life. Because Christ says, hey, my words are life. Uh, notice what he says uh in verse 7 in John 15, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what ye will and it shall be done unto you. Notice it's his, he wants his words to abide in us. And that's mm -hmm. when we can glorify the Father and that's when we can bear much fruit. And so the whole process of discipleship or ministry is to get the words of Christ and the words of God into individuals who need life. That's what leading somebody to Christ is all about, is leading them to the source of life. And then also when they do accept, then leading them to the source of continued to, to dwell and abide in Christ. And how do we do that? And so there has to be intentionality, just like Christ was very intentional in the way he approached ministry here on earth. Thank you for listening to this episode of General Order 4. We will continue this discussion on next week's episode. If you'd like to reach out to us, you can do so at generalorder4 at gmail.com or on Twitter at generalorder4. Please like, share, and subscribe.